This is the scripture reading today. It's Psalm 138. O David, I give, I give you thanks. O Lord, with my whole heart, before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the Lord of for great is the glory of the Lord. For thou the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, a couple months ago, I, I uh, called Buddy and asked if uh, I could just if I could come give it an update for the last several months of my life. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you preach and preach on Psalm 138? And uh, so really for the last two months, I mean, every, every single day I've been looking at this psalm. And honestly, I'm not sure there's a chapter in the Bible, I'm not sure there's a group of verses that could better describe my life uh, in the last, really, uh, three years of my life. Um, throughout my faith journey, I've been so thankful for the example of David. He's one of my faith heroes. Um, not so much for the, the crazy good things that he's done um, or the great victories that he had in his life, but almost more so for his vulnerability and knowing some of the, the bad parts of his life, knowing the failures, um, knowing his faults. Um, a man very, very far from perfect, but considered a man after God's own heart. You know, this, this summer, Alan Bible's going through a sermon series of unfamiliar psalms. Psalm 139, we almost all know that, right? Um, that, that God has formed us in, in our mother's womb. Uh, but Psalm 138, right, right before this, um, yeah, is, is, it really has been a, a Bible verse or a chapter that has resonated with, with my soul over these last two months. And David starts out this psalm. Uh, with the deepest gratitude. It says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Uh, he praises God for his faithfulness and his steadfast love. But in the Psalms, you can also see, see some of David's vulnerability and honesty on who he is as a man. Because it says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. So at some point, David feels pretty weak. He feels a little lost, maybe. A little desperate, he's called out to the Lord, and the Lord has strengthened his soul. Oh my gosh, that has been my story. Uh, he reminds himself of, of a time he was desperate, his soul was weak, and, uh, and God came through. You can see David's humility in his sober judgment of his own self. When he says, for the Lord is high, but he regards the lowly. I love that David knew who he was as a man. Uh, I mean, 
because of his failures, because of his vulnerability, because of the times of weakness, he knew he was nothing. Um, but God was high, and he cared for him. And he, and he says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. You know, a little over four years ago, Brittany and I were able to travel with some of you to Israel. Uh, this was a trip, really a moment in my life I will never forget. Uh, it was a time when scriptures truly came alive. You were able to put pictures to the words you had read and heard about your whole life. I remember driving from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, and at one point we drove through a valley, and our tour guide kind of pointed, just pointed out to the left, and he was like, this, this is the Valley of Elah. This is where uh, David and Goliath most likely fought. What? We're, we're, are we not going to stop? Like, is there, is there, are, don't, don't we, don't, this should take a couple days, you know, but we just drove right by. Um, that's, that's where it happened. And, uh, <laughs> and then after we visited the Dead Sea, we went up north and we went uh, to Gilgal. And there's some caves and a little stream that runs through there. And it's most likely where David hid out uh, in fear of his own life as he was fleeing from King Saul. Um, and so you see this, you know, in, in many of our eyes, a giant of faith, you know, a hero of our faith. Uh, but this guy, you know, you, you think if he, he won the battle against Goliath, he was a little boy that beat a giant with a, with a slingshot and a rock. You think at that point, his life should be good. Like he should be... His face should be solid. Um, but throughout the Psalms, throughout David's story, you see time after time a desperation of, where are you, God? Have you forsaken me? Uh, do you remember me? I'm hidden in the cave running for my life. Do you care at all? But David, look back at your life. Look what happened in the Valley of Elah. How, how do you doubt? Man, oh man, I, that is my story. Time after time after time, God has come through in times of desperation. Uh, my family and I were here for almost 16 years um, in Allen, Texas, as an as a area director for Young Life. And time after time, and so many of, so many of your faces, so many of the, the, the faces in this room have been a part of God coming through just in the clutch. So I, I really love, um, it gives me comfort when I see that David, uh, he finds himself in moments where he has, he has to remind himself of how God has shown up in his life. It's like he's screaming at his own soul to wake up. Like in Psalm 42, uh, a familiar psalm where he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed on me? And then quickly turns and says, Put your hope in God. Why are you downcast? Have you found yourself with that conversation lately? Man, I, I feel like, if not daily, it's at least a weekly conversation in my own soul. Why, why is my soul discouraged? Why am I so down? Um, put your hope in God. It's a, it's, it's a quick reminder of my soul to go back and remember. And so I, I'm right there with David. I, I want to give up all the time. I have to remind my soul over and over of God's faithfulness and how he has come through time after time after time 
in my life. I mean, honestly, at, at times I feel like my, my faith is so fragile and weak. Uh, I feel like kind of an entitled kid. Like, I need, I need God to remind me. Um, and man, God has been so kind over the years to just remind me that, that it's not in vain. The investment we make in other people is not in vain. Uh, I mean, just in the last two weeks, um, he's given me three beautiful reminders of how he doesn't abandon the work of his hands. In the, in the very last part of Psalm 138, it's as if David's pleading, like, God, don't abandon your work. Don't abandon what you have started. Um, you can go to this first slide. Three weeks ago, I walked on the Crooked Creek Ranch, a Young Life Camp in Colorado. I took my son, son and some of his buddies uh, to Young Life Camp. And Carlisle Aguirin, uh, class of 2008, I think, was, uh, it was an Allen Bible kid. Now he's an uh, area director in San Antonio. Um, right there on the top left uh, is, is him with Gordo, uh, youth pastor here. That year, Carlos showed up at the, at the uh, parking lot to say goodbye to some of his buddies that were going off to Young Life Camp. And we're like, we, we, you know, we high-fived him and said, dude, we got room on the bus. And somehow we talked his parents into just letting him get on the bus. We bought some, we bought some cat t-shirts at a gas station, I think it loves, and then a, and a toothbrush, and he was good for the week. So I think he wore that, uh, that uh, life jacket half of the week, and then his cat t-shirts the rest. But that's him 16, 17 years ago, and then just three weeks ago, he was the program director running Young Life Camp uh, as my, my 16-year-old son and his buddies got to be campers, and I was their leader. It's unbelievable. And then on the, on the bottom right is uh, Carlo Nelly and their family. Uh, there's three kids. Unbelievable. I got home, uh, and three days later, I get a FaceTime. My, my phone starts buzzing, and it's FaceTime call. And I, I open it up, and it's this next guy. So you can go to the next slide. Jared Krejci. He said, hey, Chris, I, I didn't think there was any way you were going to answer. He was like, what time is it over there? And I was like, it's, it's whatever time is where you are. I'm in Texas, baby. Uh, and he had no idea. But Jared said, he was driving away. He was, him and Anna Marie were driving to their home. He said, hey, I just finished my third interview, and I just got the job. He said, I'm, I'm now the area director of Young Life in Highland Park. Crazy. That middle picture is of him, J.D. and uh, Jordan on a camping trip uh, a bunch of years ago. And then the bottom left is uh, him and Anne-Marie with their, their Young Life kids at Crooked Creek earlier this summer. And then he said, man, I, I really wish I could be there on Sunday. Uh, but me and Anne-Marie are taking 20 to 25 of our special needs students uh, on, a, on a beach vacation in Florida. And so that's where they are right now. Unbelievable. And then... Three days ago, I was in Buddy's office talking about speaking, and I get a text message from this girl. Next one, Janelle Collins. She says, hey, I just want to tell you, I just got off my first interview. I'm interviewing for uh, property staff at Trail West, a Young Life camp in Colorado. (sighs) 
Ah, oh, sweet reminders, the goodness, the threads of goodness of God uh, from this church, uh, from this body. And to see God is not abandoning the work. God hasn't forsaken the work of his hands. Uh, and it's so kind of the Lord to give me those moments. I, I, I honestly, I feel, I feel overwhelmed uh, at times. But I also feel super needy at times because time after time, I have these, we have these stories. We have these reminders. God is working. What you do is not in vain. What we, how we serve people is not in vain. But time after time, I forget. My soul gets tired. My soul gets weary and a burden. Um, but man, the last five, six months of my life, of my family's life, Again, it's, we, we, we're just unpacking some of the threads of goodness that God has done over time. Um, for those of you watching online, uh, the next few pictures and videos uh, will not be online just for security reasons, uh, because there's a lot of, yeah, the, the, the struggle in Europe is still going on. It's still hard and heavy. And, uh, and so for the protection of these people, um, I'm not going to show that, but uh, I, yeah, I guess on March 5th, uh, our, our COVID restrictions in Austria, some of the most strictest, um, really, COVID regulations. You know, we, we moved to Austria f- almost four years ago. And, and then a, about a year of living there, um, you know, we, COVID hits and we get locked down. Really hard to start something brand new uh, when you're locked in your house. Um, and we, we would go in and out, in, in and out of, of restrictions, but they were some of the strictest. And so March 5th, like we were super excited because finally our limitations of 20 or more people of meeting together were, was going to be lifted. And then sure enough, February 24th, 25th, um, the sirens in our village went off. It was the day Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and our neighbors, our friends around us started hoarding uh, iodine tablets, which was really strange. I, I walked outside as those sirens were going off, and, and I'm like, how close is this? Like, how close are we at that point? I'm, my kids make fun of me because of my geography, but I, I honestly didn't know how close we were. Um, and so I even called my doctor back here in Allen and just said, hey, is this a good idea? Should I get some iodine tablets? And he said, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea. So, you know, you take iodine tablets in case you're exposed to nuclear ra- radiation. And so that was the big fear uh, in, that, in our country at that time. Um, I, I really sh- wrestled with, do I get my family on a plane and fly back uh, to the safety of the good old USA? Uh, that really was a thought. And... Uh, but at that point, we're like, no, we, I mean, we're, we're staying mainly because my kids couldn't miss school. That's really why we needed to stay. Uh, <laughs> no. but, but yeah, it, it, was, it was just, a, yeah, we were so excited about these COVID restrictions. We were actually going to get, like, felt like we were going to get Young Life off the ground. And then the war began. And there was just another, another dose of just uncertainty uh, insecurity um, of just what the heck is going to happen. And so, um, 
Yeah, about a week and a half into the war, I got a friend, I got a call from one of my buddies who was raised in Poland. Some of you know a little bit of this story, but I read this book uh, called God Smuggler by a brother Andrew probably 15 years ago. And, uh, and one day I was, I was driving to meet this guy, and my friend Manfred said, you know, uh, this guy Andy, he, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a crazy story. He, he lived on the border of Poland and Czechoslovakia. And uh, he said when, his, when he was little, his parents would smuggle Bibles across the border to the, uh, you know, behind the Iron Curtain. And at that point, I'm like, wait, I, I read a book like 10 years ago that really like boosted my faith. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was like in that area. So he was like, I don't know, you should ask him. So we went and had lunch with this guy and I, and I asked him. And uh, he was like, I mean, I was five or six years old, but yeah, there was a guy named Andrew at my house a lot. <laughs> like, what? And uh, I mean, he, he began to tell me the stories of, you know, his baby brother was an infant at the time. Andrew would show up or some of his buddies would show up drop off little bitty Bibles that were translated into Czech. And his, his, they would wait as a family until their little uh, baby boy got tired, and then they would fill the bassinet, the, the stroller, with Bibles. And then they would put bedding over the Bibles and put their, his little brother to sleep. Um, and then they would go walk across the border um, in, into the Czechoslovakia. And uh, he said they would pat all of us down, they would check all of our bags, but they would never wake a sleeping baby. It's like, that's how we got the word of God in the Czechoslovakia. I mean, just talking like it was nothing. And I was just, I mean, my, I had to pick my chin up several times of like, this is your story. Like, what? What are you doing? Well, so fast forward two years later, his daughter-in-law is one of our Young Life volunteer leaders. And his son will be at camp with us uh, in a couple weeks. But this guy called me and just said, hey, uh, me and my wife are going to the border. Um, my brother's church has taken in a bunch of Ukrainian orphans, and we just need to get supplies, um, some food and medical supplies to them. So he called me and said, you're the only guy that I can think of that would be crazy enough to go with me. I was like, I will take that as a compliment. And, uh, and I was like, where do I sign up? Where do I sign up? And then I stopped myself. I was like, but I should, I should probably ask my wife. And uh, he was like, yeah, you should. So I hung up the phone, and it was a super quick, you have to go by Brittany. And, uh, and so the, my plan, our plan was to go for four days. We were going to go to the border and just come back. It was a, a nine-hour drive to the Polish-Ukrainian border. We were going to try to help, see where we could help as much as we could. And then the floodgates opened. Um, you caught word of it. Uh, my... My friends in my hometown of Canyon, Texas, caught word of it. Uh, and then it, was a, it became a much bigger mission. And this next, next slide is uh, some of the most amazing people I've ever met. So this is the in-laws of Andy, uh, so his wife's parents. It's where I stayed um, kind of off and on. Uh, but I walk into this little simple farm, farmhouse, farmhouse in, uh, in southern Poland, and this, this man comes and shakes my hand, and he says, oh, it's a big American boy. I mean, and it, it was all in Polish, but his son-in-law was translating for me. He was like, and he gave me a, he embraced me. He just gave me a big hug. And he was like, I love the big American boys. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know where this is going, but I'm staying at your house, so that's good. Uh, but he said, he said when I was when I was six years old, the big American boys flew over my house at the end of World War II. They dropped they dropped food from the sky. My, we lived, my family lived because of those big American boys. He said, I'll never forget watching one get uh, hit by a rocket. He said, the, the pilot ejected, and I, we could see the parachute in the distance. We have no idea if he lived or died, but those boys kept us alive. And he was like, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Uh, I mean, he literally pointed out his backyard, and he said, hey, right back there, that's where the Germans came up, and they, they hunkered down right back here in my backyard. So the Russians came here, and they ransacked our house and stole all, our, all of our food and beat up my mom. And this is when he got emotional. He said, and now, he's like, this is supposed to be in our history books. He's like, but now, there are millions and millions and millions of little boys that now have my story again, that will be talking about this day for 75, 80 years, just like it was last week. Just like I remember, vividly remember, those are my most vivid moments of my life. World War II. Um, and so, so from there, um, I think Buddy had called me and said, hey, we're, we're going to send a check for $5,000. Uh, I was like, what? It's unbelievable. Like, we will be able to fill up a couple more vans because of that. And then I think maybe three or four hours later, David Shipley called me and said, hey, we changed our mind. We're not going to send the five grand. I was like, oh, I just swiped my card. Just fill it fill up. And he was like, we, we changed our mind. We, we want to give 15000 I was like, what? Out from Allen Bible Church? And he was like, yeah, we, we feel like this is where the Lord is calling us to give. It's where we want to be a part. <laughs> And I was in their house, and I ran up to their son-in-law, and I'm like, dude, money's coming in. Like, what do we do? And so that night we get, well, I guess a couple nights later, we gathered at this church that this couple started in Palavita, Poland. And we gathered with one of the, the, the a bigwig lawyer from Warsaw um, who had met Christ at this church. And we, we were in a room full of people, um, and they started talking. They're like, dude, like we could we could rent a semi truck, and we could fill it up and take it into to into Ukraine, and just that would be amazing. Like they were doing the math and figuring out like we can rent a semi truck. But then quickly it all stopped. They all started talking, and this was all in Polish. I'm I'm trying. I I don't I didn't know any. I didn't I didn't pick up any words. Um, but that at the end they were like. No, we're not going to rent a semi-truck. Because all these, all these guys were little boys in the, in the early 80s when communism still covered Poland. And they said, we will never forget. We would have random cars from the West show up at our, in our villages, in our neighborhoods, filled with food, filled with some chocolate and some Bibles. And he was like, if we rent a semi-truck, it kind of takes the the personal aspect away. And so it was beautiful that night in the super cold southern Poland. They came up with a plan, hey, we're going to take our family vehicles 
and, and it's gonna, we can continue to do this longer term. And so that's what we did. And, uh, and still today, like money is still coming in for them to do. So at least once or twice a week, this group, this church group in southern Poland continues to go in and take food and medical supplies um, to Lviv. And then people are trying to get it further east where it's, it's a lot worse. I'm going to show just a quick video of our first. This, this is a video of our first time, first trip. I'm second pastor of Lviv, of the Church Christ Center Church in Lviv. We received so many, so much help from you. So I would like to thank you in behalf of my people. Thank you so much for your care and, and help. We appreciate this immensely. Thank you.
kitchen and there are many knives to be found. so many so many stories uh it feels feels emotional those uh, those videos were filmed from my family van um these were uh three guys that were rescued by that team uh from mariopol um there was story after story but that that pastor he when we met with him he says the church the believers in the in my country it's like we're ants uh spreading out all over this country trying to get food trying to get uh, trying to get people out. Um, it really was a beautiful picture of the gospel, a picture of the body of Christ coming together. And you guys joined um, that body uh, during that time. Uh, I, I, I got to go fast. But this, this next slide is what my, my vehicle looked like. Uh, at one point uh, on this morning, I got stopped at one of the uh, checkpoints. And uh, these uh, Ukrainian soldiers came up to me. Usually they would let us through just because we had a Red Cross uh, humanitarian aid sticker on our, on our, but it was about 4.30 in the morning, 10 a.m., or um, 10, 10 degrees outside, freezing cold, and we pull up to this, this uh, checkpoint. And uh, this time the guy asked for my passport, so I handed him a passport, and I was just tell you, they always, my Polish friends, they said, we, we're going to put all the legal things in your car because you're American. They'll be, they'll be easier on you. I'm not sh I don't think that's true. But <laughs> I, was the, I was the only American, so I was like, okay, hide it good. Let's go. Um, but this time we got, we got stopped, and he looked at my passport, and he said, get out of the car. I mean, this is all in Ukrainian, nothing in English. And he, he pointed to the back. He wanted to look in, in you know, the back. So I opened it. It looked like that. It was, it's pitch dark out there. And then he starts getting a little rough with me just and, and starts saying stuff in, in Ukrainian. And I said, sir, I don't speak any Ukrainian. Do you speak any English? And he just kept pointing in here and, and saying something. I, I was like, I don't know what you're saying. And all of a sudden he flipped his rifle around and he said, do you have more of these? And he pointed out my passport and he said, you come from Texas. It's <laughs> like, I was like, oh no. Sorry, maybe next time. Maybe next time, but I don't, I don't have more. I don't have reinforcements right now, but he knew. He knew where I came from. It's crazy. True story. Uh, they, they let me back in my car, and we went, and we dropped off the food right there. 
Um, but as I'm driving, uh, my co-pilot that night, he said, I feel like I have a duty um, to my Ukrainian brothers and sisters because this was done for me uh, when I was a kid. He said, when I was 11 years old, I woke up uh, and I looked out my bedroom window. He said, there was a Russian tank uh, sitting outside my house with the gun pointed at our house. He said, I crawled to my mom's room. He said, at that point, we were heavy in communism. We, we could only buy vinegar and salt from the uh, store. And then my mom would gather things from the forest to put together soup. He said, so I, I ran and said, Mom, there's a tank with its gun pointing at our house right now. She said she went to the kitchen. She put together two bowls of hot soup and walked them out to the Russian tank. And the hatch opened up. Two Russian soldiers popped their heads up. She said they had tears in their eyes, and they took the soup. She, she turned around and walked back in the house. And they just watched. And sure enough, the gun turned, and then the tank rolled off. He said three months later, uh, communism fell in my country. And uh, it felt like I was on a movie um, talking to this guy. I'm like, dude, that's your childhood story. Like, I remember once not getting Mario Brothers when I wanted it. I'm like, this is your story. And so we, we just talked that night, and that was, that was the night that we, we had kind of a crazy run into Ukraine. We came back, and this next, next slide is that very night, we got, to have, we got to have dinner with his mom. That was the lady that walked the two bowls of soup to, uh, and I, I'm telling you, it was, it was one of the craziest dinners I've ever had, because me and her, her son were telling her about our escapades that night. And what we, what we had faced, and she just put her her hand in her heads hands. She was like, "No, what are you doing? Like you can't. You this is too dangerous." And I just looked at her and said, "What are you talking about? You're the lady that walked two bowls of soup to a Russian tank. The things we're doing is nothing." She's like, "We're just trying to be like you," and she just said, "No, it's too dangerous." But I just said, "We're following in your footsteps. We're doing." Uh, what you taught your son to do. Um, this, this, this first trip um, ended up, I had uh, two moms and three teenage girls end up in my, my car. I was going to just take them from the border to uh, the refugee center in Medica. And uh, I dropped them off. And as soon as I, they got out of my car, there were two women that approached them and said, and it was, this was all in Ukrainian, but they, they said, if you get on, on the bus right, this bus right now, you will have food, you will have a place to sleep, and you will have, uh, you will have a job. And at that point, I just felt super uncomfortable. Things, you know, in a moment like this, you really do see the best in humanity. You see people step up. You see the church step up. But you also see the worst in humanity. Uh, majority of the refugees were, were women and children. And so there was trafficking going on. A lot of horrible things were happening, coming on the news. And uh, at that point, I just, I didn't, I didn't know for sure what this was. But I, I definitely did not want them to get on that bus. I said, you need to go, you need to go at least put your data in here so that they will have record of you. And they, they were going to get on the bus, and I called Brittany. I said, I don't know what to do. Um, but this is the situation. She was with some friends who were from Germany. 
knew kind of the area where they were going. They, and they said, no, do not let them get on the bus. So I, I just on my phone, I picked, pulled up a picture of my three little girls and said, ma'am, you don't, like I know that I'm a complete stranger. I know that you don't have to trust me, but these are my three girls. I said, if it was my three girls that were being asked to get on this bus, I would not feel comfortable. I don't think it's safe. And really, uh, one of the daughters spoke English, and so she kind of helped me convince the two moms to not get on the bus. And I, I said, my wife has said that you can come stay with us. Um, I know that I'm a complete stranger. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know me, but I, I just want to just make that offer. And I said, stay here. You have a place to sleep. Here's my number. Call me in the morning. Talk to your husbands and see. And sure enough, at 10 o'clock that next morning, they called me and said, we want to, we've talked to our husbands. We want to take you up in this offer. So I went and picked them up. We drove for uh, nine hours back to Salzburg. Um, I wanted to take them somewhere nice to eat, and I pulled over in Zori, Poland. Uh, and this is where we, we had dinner. <laughs> what? <laughs> Restaurant Texas. Says, welcome to Texas, Route 66. Um, unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was in those moments, like, I got tears in my eyes saying, it just feels like God is with me. Because um, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm at home. Um, I told someone earlier, it was the scariest time of my life, but I felt fully alive. It felt like life to the full. So I'm, I'm journeying back with these with these. Uh, Five ladies in my car. We're listening to Taylor Swift on the road back, laughing, taking a, we're doing a little English, German, Ukrainian language school. So I am, you are, he, she, it, is, ich bin, du bist. You know, we're, we're just doing that, trying, I mean, it was crazy. And we, we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about God. I didn't play Christian music on my radio. Um, but I, we pulled up to our house, and it was 3 a.m. My wife was there. My daughter had given up her room for, for two of them to sleep. She, my, Isabel, she went and slept on a floor for three weeks so um, two of these ladies could have a bed. And uh, that next morning, uh, one of the moms got up and was having coffee with Brittany, and she said, I was so afraid. I was so afraid you were going to be so angry at your husband for bringing five women to your house. Um, because you don't live in that big of a house, and we, we didn't, we just, we, we really thought about, um, she said she had looked up where they could run away to um, if <laughs> Brittany was really angry. And uh, she said, but, but then I got up this morning, and she was like, I saw a Bible on your kitchen table. She said, at that point, I knew why. Like, I knew why you were doing this. Um, she was like, for the first time in over a month, I finally feel like my girls are safe. My family is safe. And uh, so they lived with us for three weeks. Um, we, <clears throat> the next picture is they, they made a cake for Tennessee's ninth birthday, a birthday she'll never forget. It uh, was unbelievable. Um, and then we're back and we're, we're trying to, um, you know, get them settled, all, all this stuff. And then we get this next video. Um, from our buddy that had taken food and medical supplies from Lviv to the east. This, we'll go to the next video. 
походу, походу. Короче, люди с, с автоматами. И я должен через это проехать. Это, конечно, жесть. Давай, шмаляй. His, he got away, his car, um, he crossed this bridge, his car, pulled over his car, and his car burned to the ground. Uh, he escaped. But he just, he got hold of it. He said, that our biggest need is bulletproof vests and helmets. And uh, gosh, just through a crazy connection, a relationship, a friendship with someone, we were able to take, uh, you can go to the next slide, four bulletproof vests. And uh, so we went back in to Lviv and, and delivered these. And uh, two days after we did, we got a report saying, hey, we went in, we were bringing people out from the east to the west, and we got shot at again. And he said our, our van was completely full of refugees fleeing to the west. And he said, I, I looked, and I, I'd been shot in one of those vests. Um, crazy, crazy uh, stories from this. Uh, the next slide. I'm sorry, I'm trying to land this plane, buddy. I know, you're, you're dying. Um, this is uh, my buddy Florian Becker. He's a local Austrian. We did Young Life program in Scotland uh, three weeks ago. Uh, his father was involved in Young Life uh, 40 years ago in, late, uh, in the late 70s. And uh, he, he's, been our, he's been our godsend. Like He has helped us figure out how to get our friends um, registered and in, in the system and, and, and to get them the, need that, the needs that they have. We found a place for our friends uh, to live after that. And then, Brittany, you're going to come up and share just a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, you can go to the next slide. Well, first, I just want to say... Usually Chris is the one that speaks in this uh, circus that we take on the show, but um, I, I just, I couldn't help but not come up here and say thank you. Thank you so much for each message, for um, your prayers during that time. Um, I know that maybe some of you know, and he doesn't say this, but when he, he wasn't supposed to cross over into Ukraine, but he did. And um, there were several times where he lost. I lost the signal for him. And um, I didn't know if he was alive or if, if he was coming back. And um, each, each message, each prayer um, that came from you guys, that, that was amazing. That really kept us um, going and 
Man, just a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. It's been, I feel like it's been a really hard two and a half years to be in the church. And just the picture of the body of Christ in that time. Um, just to see this church building in my head, this body, to see a church building from West Texas where my dad went to church when he was young, to see the body of Christ from all over um, come together and uh, support us and then to send supplies and just the Holy Spirit was there. And I could not be more thankful for that reminder from the Lord that he allowed me to get to see the unity in the body. Um, since Chris gave me so much time, yeah, I'm going to go. We have to go fast. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Think, thanks. I had a lot to say, but it's okay. Um, so I'll just update you quickly on the two families. Um, Oksana is, uh, well, the, okay, this is Natasha. She was one mom. She has Lisa and Ruslana, all three of the girls that, the teenagers, they got into our school. Um, and they have their own home now, but not, Natasha's husband is still in Ukraine. And um, she just wants to go home. Her husband and her parents are there. And these two girls have graduated from school in Ukraine. So they kind of all just want to go back. And they're really having a hard time um, thinking about starting a new life where they are. So if you guys could pray for them, that they would just know what the next step is. But we are still financially supporting them um, with cell phone, food, school supplies, all of those things. And then next slide, um, this is Oksana and Lyra. Lyra is Isabel's age. She also goes to our school. Um, Oksana's husband is a soldier in Ukraine, and I just got a text um, this morning that Oksana is um, gonna go into Ukraine and leave Lyra with her, her friend and her friend's daughter in that bottom left picture who actually just made it to Salzburg a week ago since we've been there seeking refuge, but Oksana wants to go back and try and see her husband for just a minute while Lyra's at camp and then wants to come home, uh, come back. And they want to start a new life in Salzburg. I know, and Chris, Chris is making me go. Okay, sorry. Um, next slide. Do I do that? Okay. Yeah, you can just skip that one. We know that. Those are all the girls. Um, okay, so... The most, one of the most exciting things, I don't know that I would call it exciting though, is, um, so yeah, um, there's a lot of orphanages that had to leave Ukraine and they are seeking shelter in bordering countries and one of those orphanages is right outside of Salzburg. Um, I don't know if you can go to the next slide. Um, so I got in contact with Tasha Bradley, who's from Prosper, Texas who's friend of a friend, we did Bible study together, and they end up at our house 24 hours after making contact with me because they were adopting Masha, and Masha had just evacuated to Salzburg. So she tells me the story, and she says, man, like, I love Young Life. I, I know about Young Life. We could really, I'd love for you to be able to go check on Masha um, after I leave because their adoption process is, um, is on hold for now. So she's stuck there. So that, um, so then I started, go to the next slide, yeah. Started visiting Masha um, once a week, and then you go to the next slide. We started hanging out with the, the kids at the orphanage every week, bringing them fresh fruit and um, playing games with them, and um, kind of started a ministry with them. You can go to the next slide. 
these are some more of the kids from the orphanage. Um, we were trying to get uh, permission to take them to camp um, and not really knowing how to do that. But any, long story short, uh, in two weeks, we are taking 60 of these orphans to Young Life Camp. And uh, yeah, God is good. That's one of those stories that I was like, okay, there's no way it's going to happen. No way. Only God could do it. And sure enough, two days later, he did it. Um, but it is going to cost us 25000 for them to go to camp. And we're about halfway there. Um, but more than money, please, please pray for that week. We're going to be translating that um, into two or three different languages. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be crazy. Um, I was just talking to Mac. Mac, where are you? Yeah about how hard it is to be a leader at Young Life Camp. And, and I just said, man, I know. I can't tell you how many times I just called Chris. And I'm like, I want to go home. I'm crying. And he's like, you're on staff. You can't go home. So, oh, yeah. OK. So yeah. Um, and so now we get to do Young Life Camp with them. And we also get to do Young Life Club in the fall. So that's what Young Life, our first Young Life Club is going to be with um, orphans and and my, the kids that we've been working with for the last four years Ben and Isabel and their friends they're gonna be our young life leaders so that's not the story that we thought that's not how we thought young life would start in Austria but this was God's story so hey uh, I, I know we we said that uh, we would love to extend this and continue to share stories uh, if you are available for lunch we're gonna go to Rudy's uh, barbecue uh, there's some big rooms there, so we'll love that just to have extend because I'm, I'm way over time. But can I pray for us? And then uh, and David Shipley is going to come up. Uh, dear God, thank you uh, for this church. God, thank you for this family. Uh, thank you just for a chance to be here um, and to be with them. God, thank you that we've all we're all in this together. Um, God, that we the threads of goodness that you have woven through this church and throughout the world. Um, is because we've, we've really tried to hang on to you and to trust in you. And uh, God, thank you for the pictures, the faces, and the, and the stories of goodness uh, that we have been able to share and that we continue to be able uh, to be a part of uh, in the coming days. In your name I pray, amen. So sorry. Sherry, come up. So... Um, yeah, Chris has my disease. Landing the plane, that's hard to do. So, so But it's good for us as Americans to have to flex a little bit. Um, I'm going to have Dave. This is Dave Shipley. He's one of our elders. He uh, oversees our local outreach particularly, and we've got that opportunity on location weekend this Saturday. He's going to tell you about the two projects, and then I'm going to close it. Yeah, thank you, Chris. We just really enjoyed that. You brought us full circle, you know, from nations now to local. And uh, next Saturday... We have an opportunity, actually two opportunities, to be Christ's feet in our neighborhood. One of them is going to be at ACO, and both, by the way, both of these will start at 9 a.m., meet here at 9 a.m., and then you go to your assignment. Uh, but the first one at ACO is going to be where they're really excited about us helping them get their one of their warehouses in shape. We're going to be sorting clothes taking small appliances and sorting those. So that's what you'll do if you go to, to ACO. A couple things there. Number one is that um, because of liability, they don't have availability for kids that are under 12. So the other opportunity that Sherry will talk about in a second is one that you can use there. Other thing to do is uh, just make sure you wear closed-toed shoes 
because they've got all kinds of equipment around there. So be here at 9 o'clock. Mike is going to be the one who's going to lead the ACO, and Sherry Rapp is going to be the one for our next one. So why don't you describe that? Um, I work at Coventry Reserve. It is um, where I get to support challenge um, some God's most precious people. So adults with special needs come to Coventry, and we do creative and therapeutic programs. But this Saturday, our guys won't be there. Um, we call them stars. A few of them will get to show up, actually. But we need help um, with in our landscape, basically. So um, if those kids enjoy weeding, you know, we are going to be outside weeding. We've got some projects outside. We also have started a respite house um, in um, the city of Wiley. Um, at that house, we need some maintenance. We need about five guys to help us um, paint a garage and also do some landscape work there. So bring garden gloves. We'll have everything else. Um, and our ladies are going to be at the respite house that, that weekend, and they are planning a special little hostess thanks for helping us um, if you come out to Coventry so we'll meet y'all here for that and with the ACO don't worry about bringing anything uh, they'll have everything there Mike is gonna bring water because it will be in in a warehouse that is not air-conditioned so you you will get hot but it'll be good it'll be a great great day thank you guys um, you can go to the website to sign up we do need you to sign up so we have some idea of who's coming to which project that kind of deal so Go to uh, our allenbible.org, and you'll find on location there and sign up. That's a great way for us to step into what Chris and Brittany have encouraged us, that God works even in ways that are small and hidden, and often we kind of discount. Um, we're going to stand just to sing the chorus of goodness of God. I'll, I'll got it, Matthew. No reason to, you guys stand up. You've got a better voice than me, but we're just going to sing the chorus once. So the chorus of, he said the threads of God's goodness, that was his theme. I hope that you're encouraged to see that uh, through Psalm 138. We're just going to sing this one time through full throat, and then you were dismissed. All my life you have. 